0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today was Robin Raskin. Uh, She's the founder of Living in Digital Times. And they're a team of technophiles who bring together top experts in the latest innovations uh, to look at the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Uh, they're having a cool event at CES in, in January, so I highly, check, I'd highly recommend checking out Living in Digital Times uh, if you want to get more understanding of what they're, what they're offering there at CES. It's a really interesting interview for me. Robin knows technology in and out. Um, she's been covering it for a while now, and and really knows the people and knows all the key players involved, and really knows what technology means for our lives as creative individuals and where we're headed. Um, growing up, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in my 30s now, and um, kind of the older range of on the millennials and we've just kind of grown up with technology all around us and it's been a part of our lives, been a part of my life since I was six or seven years old. Um, but for our parents, that wasn't the case, uh, that they, they really saw the rise of this thing called technology, but I guess not even technology, com- computation, computers, personal computing. Um, and they saw it arise and then they saw it mix with the internet. And that's just something that has been around for my whole life, not the internet, but, um, uh, personal computing has been around my, own, my entire life. Um, and so it's really interesting to get this perspective uh, because Silicon Valley used to be a band of nobodies, t- nerds, techs, tech people, often garages building random technologies. Uh, they're kind of ignored by the rest of the world. They're, they're kind of crazy. Um, and then throughout the 80s and the 90s, it started to rise um, and people start around the rest of the world started to take it seriously that there's this place that was creating technologies that would revolutionize the way that we do work and now the way that we communicate um and it was all centered in this one spot and you know and there had been previous examples of this say in detroit or or um new york or other places like this but silicon valley was pretty special in terms of its global reach and Robin saw this from the beginning, and, um, and it's really interesting to get her perspective on where we're going, uh, because uh, it's not very clear where we're going. And, and um, what I'm really interested in, have started to do a lot, a lot of interviews on and be releasing over the next few weeks is this nature of what happens when other people in other countries start to mix this technology with their culture and also start to become technology producers as opposed to just consumers. Um, and I'm really interested in this subject, and, and I'm going to start doing a lot of more, a lot more interviews because it's it's technology has already gone, gone global, but also the mindset from Silicon Valley has also gone global, and that's really important uh, because mindset is key to what we spend our time doing and how we. Um, spend our precious time here on earth it's kind of related to our mindset and and where where we're aiming our target um and how you know that it's really important um and this mindset is being transported through things like this through podcasts um and that's what i'm going to try to do i'm going to try to elicit what is going on in the rest of the world in terms of this ability to produce technology for the problems that they're facing, along with the problems that we all face on this globe. Um, because there are local problems and there are global problems. Uh, and those global problems can be solved in different places with different ways of looking things because culture changes the way that we look at something. And so culture will define our mindset and our mindset will decide, define the problems that we face and the problems that we solve. Um, so I'm going to do that, and that was a quite a bit of a tangent, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy uh, Robin's uh, Robin's uh, talk here. And uh, if you do find it interesting, you can find her at Living in Digital Times. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. You can follow the show Get Crazy Wisdom. I just created the Twitter accounts, and if you want to follow it in Spanish, it's at Get Crazy Wisdom ESP. I'm sorry at Crazy Wisdom ESP. Uh, again, that's at Crazy Wisdom ESP. I'll start to publish episodes in Spanish, um, and I'm now just getting the idea of essentially going to Mexico. I've been having the past couple of days, but uh, to go to Mexico directly and start doing interviews with people down there, both in English and in Spanish. Um, and so that is coming into mind at the, at in, in my current time to really get the feet on the ground. And... So if you'd like to follow that, find us on at get cra- at crazy wisdom ESP and hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day. Welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. My guest is Robin Raskin, uh, the founder of living in digital times. Uh, she's a former journalist and editor of PC magazine and her mission in life is to make technology ex- more accessible for all types of people. Uh, so really excited to have have you on and talk about all things uh, technology.
1: Yeah, well, crazy and wisdom fit right in. Um, <laughs> I think I've been around this industry long enough to be crazy and hopefully to have a little wisdom about it.
0: Cool. And when did you get started? What, what was what was this? How did you get accessible towards technology?
1: Well, it was a pretty uh, serendipitous thing. Um, I got married in 1979. Oh my God, I'm really dating myself and. My, as a wedding gift, my husband brings home a terminal connected to his PDP-11 where he was doing computer graphics at a university. I'm trying to be a writer, and he tells me, don't use the typewriter anymore. You will love this thing. Teaches me Unix, in particular for Unix fans out there, Enroth and T-Roth and VI. So I hate it. I, I, I hate it. My, it takes me so long to learn it, to publish. But... I wrote a column for InfoWorld called How I Learned About Computers to Save Our Marriage. And I said that for anybody who thinks a computer is just like tennis or ping pong or golf, like it's not. This is really big and it's going to change all our lives. And in particular, if you're a woman, as I was at the time with a baby on the way, trying to figure out what I was going to do, it was, I could just see it all coming together. So they published a column for $25, and um, the rest is history. People just started calling me, including Bill Ziff, who was starting PC Magazine in New York, and said, can you write about technology more? And I said, no, that's like everything I knew, right there in those 500 words. And he goes, oh, come on And nobody knows about technology, you'll mm-hmm. be fine. And that was it. I, I learned from the inside out, um, Um, as everybody, as these things like the IBM PC Junior were coming on and compact computers and Columbia and sort of learned how transformative they would be.
0: That is very interesting because now everyone knows about technology. Everyone has had technology in their lives and over the last like, what, six, seven years has become almost like addiction level uh, relationship with technology. So it must be quite an interesting viewpoint to see that from the beginning because we've had technology our you know our whole existence like the human beings have used technology in order to do so many things but the it's the the real change is the rapid pace in technology adoption over the last 20 or 30 years and yeah so and i think
1: i think the the untetheredness and the mobile that was the tipping point mm. you know because in a traditional family the computer always sat in the study and you know, you'd be sitting there at dinner and I'm going to go back to early days of the internet, and you'd have a discussion like who was the 35th president, (laughs) and somebody would go into the study and look it up, but now that the world is in your pocket or in your wrist or on your head, things are very, very different, and so we've had to learn how to meld the technology with our everyday life, and that can be... Tough. I mean, it is worse than dieting. It is worse than drinking. It is worse than quitting smoking. It is. I just lost my phone for four days and almost had a heart, heart attack.
0: Mm. And, it, and it's like effectively we're already at the point where the vast majority of us are, are highly addicted to it. But I, I guess it's not that much different from the TV because the TV pretty soon after the TV was introduced, we started to get to levels of like four to five hours of people watching TV across the board. Um, Yeah, but it was different. You know, first of all, we had a
1: common experience, a mm -hmm. shared experience. If it was the Ed Sullivan show on Sunday night, you sat in the living room together and that was it. Now screens are ubiquitous, but so is streaming content, which has divided us a bit. There is just so many, such an overabundance of, of content. And so you end up becoming somewhat siloed. And I think that's why people love things like HQ because it came on at what three o'clock and 10 o'clock every day on the East coast. And you got mm-hmm. to have this shared experience of trivia for a minute. And it's why flash sales do well on the internet. So people still want to come together for an event. And the trick is that the internet we know has, is not very good at it.
0: And, and I see potential avenues for coming back to that. So I've been doing breath work sessions online where um, where I offer uh, guidance for breathing 10 minutes throughout the day, uh, just for a 10 minute quick session. And it's interesting because along, you know, people have been doing that on YouTube for a long time, but there is a noticeable difference between watching a recorded content and actually being there at the same time, doing the same thing, even though it's just breathing and we're not really talking together. Um, and so I see there's, there's avenues to change that in terms of bringing this group joint attention back to the internet actually i'm pretty optimistic about a lot of these different different things that yeah happen what do you see in that yeah it's
1: a bit ironic right that technology that has addicted us can theoretically save mm-hmm. us from these addictions i always find that a little bit of like Oh really? Um, so whether you know, so you know, the app on your phone that tells you how much time you're spending on your phone, <laughs> um, to breathing, to your heart rate monitors, to your walking. I mean, I think these are all like really positive steps. Um, even in the kids' arena. So what I, I right now I what living in digital times does is a ton of conferences and events about different parts of life and how technology integrates. And in the kids' world this year in particular it's all about physical play and and digital play combining you know whether you are driving a truck around and it's being mimicked on a screen or whether an app extends the play of your doll um, we're trying very hard to meld those two uh some with more success than others
0: well that's really interesting because that's happening in a lot of different realms i'm going to go pretty far off the the topic but it's related uh, in Israel uh, there's a recent recent uh, cyber attack that happened against Israel and then uh, Israel retali- retaliated with a actual physical attack and and a um, bombed a physical location uh, and that was the first time that an offline an online attack led to an offline retaliation um, and and so it's pretty far removed from from kids kids playing but there is this kind of both separation that's happening with technology but then there's also a we are losing the boundaries between offline and online as well have you seen anything
1: absolutely and a war will the definition of a war will be redefined because of it i think and Mm -hmm. you know um and uh hopefully peace too (laughs) but Mm -hmm. that's
0: another story (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so seeing it from you know the very beginning to now what what do you think about kids and, and and just like you know? So I'll give an example. So you know, we, we were talking before about you know you, you grew up uh, or you were in business with with my father. You guys have been for a long time, uh, and my father was relatively early in terms of offering technology to us compared to you know the rest of the people in my generation. I'm 34 now, and um, and I had the first computer probably six years old internet, maybe nine, ten years old, Not, you know I was one of the I was probably the first generation uh, to have it that early, um, and so it 's really interesting to think about what my nephew, who 's literally had it his whole life, you know, like iPads were around since right. you know it was two years, three years what do you think what do you think the relationship is between the brain <clears throat> and and
1: yeah well oh. don 't I wish we'd put some more research into that, but
0: I can tell
1: you that parenting doesn't change. And so um, a parent's job is to role model in a large part uh, because children do what they see their parents do. And um, when it comes to technology, and you, I know you see it, you walk down the streets and every baby's got their head in a phone and you sit in the Restaurant and some kids going mommy mommy and they can't get their eyes off the phone and so I think parents need to be so conscious of how they Blend technology into their lives. It's definitely here um, First is to be cognizant of it, you know to still remember it's a miracle it, It's it's a miracle in every way it has given us great riches and pleasures the downside of that is we really have to mind our own behavior and role model um, the kids. You know, if we're on social media all day and that's our lives, they will be too. Um, so, I think we're at this total tipping point where we're getting, we're we're realizing just how a addictive it is. And you know, we can talk about how the companies that we love so much have, you know helped enable that addiction. <laughs> um, and, and B, you know, what, what do we do about it now? And it's really mindfulness about everything. You know, I raised my kids in New York City, and it was like I had to make a point of going out of my way to say, do you know where your garbage goes? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you know how plants grow? I mean, can you figure this stuff out to be a citizen of the world? And I think that's the same conversation we need to have about technology.
0: And that's interesting because that goes into this specialization happening. It's almost a story not just about the rise of technology, but the well, I guess it is a rise about technology, but the rise of urbanization as well. Because growing up in a city is qualitatively different than growing up in the country. Um, and then this rise where we have you know so many people in cities, so many people entering into a world where they're surrounded by strangers and you know limitless opportunities for social inter- interaction. Um, and then technology is, seems like a further step in that direction. And it's this specialization and over-specialization that society has essentially uh, required of us. And, and once you get really specialized, it's really easy to get so far into that specialization that you forget the rest of the world. And this is a huge, uh, essentially, trend yeah. that is getting us further away from recognizing the, the interconnectedness of all life. Um,
1: well, that's kind of why I love what I do, because I'm not a specialist in anything, but I see the patterns in everything. So I run one conferences on digital money, one is on high-tech retailing, one is on digital health, one is on fitness, one is on wearables. They're all completely different, but the patterns are the same. What does AI mean for this segment of the world, you know, for this, this, this population? What does AR and VR mean to them? What does 5g mean to them so what are the emerging technologies that no matter what segment you spend your t- your day in are, are sort of common that you're going to have to figure out uh-huh. um and the hard part of figuring it out is that you have a life to live to i used to say i remember when we got a, a local area network a pc magazine it had to be six months later when I said we've got to learn this thing, we have to stop walking floppy disks around the office. There was no time to spend learning something new, uh-huh. and so you know, when time is the biggest commodity, as as we know, it it's um, it it's so hard to think about whether it's your business or your life, and sort of step back and say, uh, what what relationship do I want this thing to have with me? You know, how much AR do I really want? Um, before I want to go experience something for real. And those are the questions we're now savvy enough to ask. But a majority of the world is still, wow, technology, this is the most amazing thing. And we kind of, um, you know, if you were privileged, like you and my own children, to grow up with these things around your house, it became um, just part of your Thinking about it, you're, you're, you've are you're kind of evolved to that now, but so many people are getting their first healthcare on mobile phones, getting their first banking on mobile phones, um, getting their first opportunities to widen their horizons past their village. And I think we in this country kind of forget how really cool that is. And we tend to, oh, even now, The important thing really is we created this miracle we now sort of have to tame it <laughs> mm. and think about it ahead of time you know that idea of um uh, just what what zuckerberg's line build build it and you know, break things and move on you know <laughs> that's not gonna play well anymore
0: yeah and that's yeah it's because essentially yeah we've we've broken there's been so many things that have been broken by this rapid adapt adaptation to technology or r- rapid uh, adoption of technology with with no adaptation. And now we're seeing this adaptation process, which is really interesting within this country. But then, totally. as, as you pointed out, that outside of this country, that those two processes need to happen at the same time. And there will be a lot of leapfrogging. And I, it was interesting. I was talking probably a couple of weeks ago to somebody and we were talking about the similarity, you know there's Hans Rossling talked about four levels of income. So you have middle income, higher income, lower income countries. Uh, there's four levels. And the first level is like, you don't have clean water. You have to walk 12 miles to get clean water. You don't have food. You don't have all these different things. And that jump from the first level to the second level now is starting to include the level for, from no technology to technology. And that technology, it's like a binary switch. Once you get accessed into this technology, it's like, it's essentially like, you know you've been in the in the jungle with your tribe for you know uh, hundreds of years and all of a sudden you come ac- across this yeah. city in the amazon it's like the digital equivalent of that um and it's future shock so like is it like 2 billion it, it is yeah.
1: and for those of us you know who built it i think what we didn't know and probably the guy who invented the wheel or fire or the locomotive or, didn't know these things either, but they're unintended consequences to each thing that you do. And I think we're now realizing um, the consequences of some of the systems that we've built and and hopefully how to modify them. Like, I I don't know about you, I personally believe that in my lifetime, there will be a new internet based on a totally different foundation, whether you are um, paid for your participation participation, whether it is owned by your government. I'm not sure how it will play out, but um, I think everybody realizes how important data is and um, what is the role of your individual data to the ecosystem.
0: Well, that's really interesting. In a a sense, I think it's already been created and it's being created by this bifurcation of the internet uh w- between china and uh i mean into a lesser to the a, a united states basically china has created its own internet and they're also creating their own technology called surveillance technology and then they're exporting it to other countries in the world you know i, I definitely see a yeah way in which and you again
1: it. It. you know some of it oh my god some of it works incredibly well when i go to china I feel very safe. Mm. That Airbnb people let me in with a lock of their button wherever they are. They know where I am. Everybody knows where I am mm. every time, you know. And um, for uh, for a woman, I, you know, traveling alone often it's so it's it's very comforting. And then you start to think about the bigger picture mm. and a personal freedom on a larger scale and then you kind of get totally freaked out by it (laughs) so um but the day-to-day is so seamless in china um and well even here like i said i lost my phone last week and i couldn't believe everything i couldn't do i mean i couldn't rent a bicycle um (laughs) and i hate driving i was in southern california i couldn't i couldn't get directions i kept having to stop at wi-fi areas and write things on a pen and paper and then get back in the car i mean it was kind of nuts and I realized that there is almost nothing that you can't do anymore. I couldn't pay for things. I couldn't call an Uber. I, you know, just the normal tools of my life were gone. <laughs> mm. And um, in a way it was very healthy.
0: And that process isn't slowing down. It's like, that's not going to reverse itself. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, cause I I've, as I've been building this podcast, I've been spending a lot of time online, a lot more, a lot more than I'm, Part that a lot more than part of me is comfortable with part of me wants to do it because I'm doing it uh, But then a lot part of me is not very comfortable with how much time I'm spending online um, and so I've been going off on these kind of uh, four-day five-day Places to or trips to places where I cannot get internet so into the forest um, on my own and I, I, I Just I, there is no internet. So there's not even an option um, And it's been so helpful but I realized yes. that that, probably, that option is going away. Like that option to remove myself from where the internet is, it's gonna, it's gonna go away. Maybe you know, maybe it's not gonna go away in the next couple of years, but maybe 10 years, 20 years. Like if I go into the forest, there'll be internet service there. Um, and it's like, there is there, th- those options where we can just totally remove ourselves. And I was thinking about it today, ha- if that happens, if I go into the forest and there's wo- worldwide connectivity everywhere, how would I do the same thing and I guess oh yeah yeah I guess it would be going off off, like on uh, my motorcycle uh and just leaving the phone at home or leaving my computer at home
1: I will share a photo of our hikes in China where there was wi-fi everywhere Mm -hmm. at the top of every mountain on the trail there were just telephone poles with wi-fi connection (laughs) I mean so you were never away Mm -hmm. uh there they're, they're, they're pretty good at that in the smallest villages that I, I was in. And, and so then it becomes your own personal um, um, discipline. And we, it, Americans, we're not so disciplined, you know. <laughs> we, we binge on everything. Uh-huh. We're kind of excessive. And I think we became very excessive about technology. Now, can technology solve that? I don't know. I mean, even when I was the editor of PC Magazine, I made everybody keep a little pie chart. How much time did they really spend writing versus emailing people versus, and it was just the beginning days. It was still kind of, you know, we didn't have Slack and we didn't have texting and, um, you know, versus getting real work done, you know, and how long should you research a story before you put the research away and stop going down the rabbit hole and start writing? Interesting. And how do you know when you are plagiarizing uh, when it's so seductive to just search, copy, cut, paste. And so these are issues I think people saw and just somehow figured we'd get through them, but um, we're, we're not. And as smart cities start to come online, it's, you know, one side of me will be very happy when I can ride my bicycle and they can watch the cars over me with the camera and see if I'm about to get, yeah, you know, but the other side of me, and uh, it's like we have a Tesla, and the one side of me loves driving it, uh, and the other side says, "Oh my God, this company knows everything about where I go, what I do, when I sleep." I mean, uh, you know, it's um, there's that that yin yang balance that we're still pretty far away from.
0: Mm. Well, and that's really interesting, particularly the Tesla example, because it also means that it's go, it's online, and so that it, then it can also be accessed online. And anything that can be accessed online can also be hacked, I, I believe. Um, and then the other point is that because that's great when you have a, 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 when you have that surveillance and you have that safety and peace of mind is great when the government's on your side. Uh, but at some point the government might not be on your side and the government might actually turn corrupt and turn, uh, turn, for lack of a better word, evil. Um, and then you really don't want to be in that situation where the government is able to to, to monitor you. Yeah. With, um, if you want to. Fight, it,
1: that evil, of- right? Evil is graduated. You know, you don't, again, um, so companies that give Fitbits to their employees mm. great. You get a discount on your insurance for keeping fit. It sounds so innocuous and healthy, but what if you're overweight and want a job? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's um, so we're, we've kind of we've kind of um, haven't figured out how to deal with all of this, or you know, what if you get fired because you're not wearing your Fitbit? I mean, and um, today it's Fitbit and your exercise. Tomorrow it will be. Fitbit and your finances, in some form or another, Which you'll be happens in China. have, and they will have that same access. You know, your your company will give you a financial Fitbit to check out your wellness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and help you theoretically. But you know, well, let's say you're um, if you don't save or <laughs> you've been out drinking five nights this week, you know that, and they see it on your account. What are the consequences? And we just don't know.
0: And it goes back to that, uh, like it always comes back to this brave new world versus uh 1984 dilemma and the the scenario you just described like a sounded like a perfect uh, combination of both of those worlds it's like one world where you're being tracked but then you're also tracked to these types of things that are like uh wellness and like uh you know happiness and like and and dopamine rushes and stuff like that so it's it's always hard to figure out which one we're going to. Are we going towards 1984 or are we going to um, Brave New World or are we going to both? Yeah. I think so much of it is up to us
1: and that's just the tracking part. Go take that out further to the prediction part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so now you know what I do every Friday and, I know. Somehow, I always laugh at some of the, especially in our high-tech retailing conference, the AI questions that they think they know the answers to, like everybody in Buffalo loves orange T-shirts. Well, they only love it when that one football game is there, you know, on that one day. And nobody's kind of thought about that, and you know, some of the inherent biases that we're going to put in our AI prediction engines that are just going to come up with some. Really whacked out, you know, if she loves pizza, she must be a great candidate for leggings, you know, I mean and um, That you know and that That's you know taking that what happens when we can predict somebody's um, um, Risk of getting a disease do we hold that against them at their job, you know, it's it's going to get real genetically designed babies there's there's just so many things that we're just starting to grapple with, um, you know, the, the whole science of the brain and how much you want to modify it. And these are questions that are coming up, I think faster than we ever anticipated they would. And that's like, the speed is insane. It's,
0: yeah, terrifying. I want to go back to the, is like an ethics question that you raised, which is really interesting about you know, when you were working at these, these magazines before these market pressures that brought, a, brought around by the internet, you were asking really important questions about plagiarizing and about like, what are we doing? What is our role? How have you seen that change over time as this kind of clickbait model of attention uh, and outrage uh, has changed the nature of the game? Are those questions still being asked?
1: Not as often as they should be and I have to say that um, the last couple of years and in particular the current political climate has only made it You combine the political climate with the technology and you have a total recipe for disaster So when you have like everyday people assuming that everything is fake and -hmm. Trying to find the real I mean it used to it used to be flip that around you could assume that everything was real every once in a while there was a fake Um, so we've kind of switched the whole paradigm for 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 how we deal with reality we kind of assume uh, somebody out there online is out to get us Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't mean what they say and that is such a terrible way to live and I think the online now transcends to our real life more and more so You know, it used to be a guy asked you for a quarter on the street corner and you would just take it on a leap of faith that you really needed a quarter. You know, now you have no idea. Um, And, you know, I think we are just um, the the whole reality and fakes and real. I mean, the internet hasn't created that. It has just been a megaphone for it. Um, It's always existed, but the, you know, if you look at the virality of what happens so much of it is fake or contrived that um it changes us as people it changes our optimism
0: trust yeah essentially yeah. like our ability to and this has been shown in you know survey after survey our our trust in government has gone down our trust in media has gone way way down our trust in all these different kind of pillars of society have gone way down and now we've got technology that's rising that is trustless so that we don't need to, we trust the algorithm or, you know, like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's like, uh, we don't, you know, there's an algorithm defining how much supply of Bitcoin is, is, um, is going to be re- released every, every quarter, or year or whatever. Um, and now we trust that algorithm to do it. Uh, and we trust the people who own it not to collude together uh, and change that rule. Um, and which is really interesting so maybe maybe that's right uh, so
1: take that so what do you think of places like china where they actually have figured this into a trust score you know you you don't pay your bills you jaywalk you uh drink too much and you know are on the train drunk you your trust goes down and what what you know the government, in that case, sets up what's trust and what isn't. But I think that is um, going to be the discussion that we have, you know, for the next couple of years. Is um, what constitutes trust, and how can you, since we measure everything, how can you measure it and sort of, you know, quantify it and and make decisions off of it. Mm. Um, in some
0: ways, know, I, I kind of, I like. I like where it's headed in terms of people becoming more skeptical as an adaptation to uh everything uh being having the potential to be fake because it m- makes us question everything and I, I for some reason I think that questioning and everything leads to more um realistic understanding of things but uh but yeah then there's this this tension about not being able to trust yeah. anything how do you get Yeah, it? yeah.
1: And I think that trust is worse on the two ends of the age spectrum older people and younger people. Mm. Younger people deserve the right to sort of, you know, to to not be distrustful. And it's so sad that we've kind of robbed them of it. Um, And older people just deserve the right. You know, they just grew up in a different time Mm. and place where they believed in things and they believed what you told them. And if a letter came in the mail, it was real, you know? And, mm-hmm. and now they are afraid to answer anything. So the, in, the internet and being connected kind of starts to work against you when you don't trust. Um, and that's sort of my, my lamentation about all of this, that I feel like the thing, now I'm sounding so sort of despondent, but the thing that we worked really hard to make great mm-hmm. has some serious, repercussions that we're just figuring out and leaving it to a next generation to figure out and a generation that I have to say through all of this has remained super optimistic. And I, 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 I think that is so great. Like we can solve this problem kind of attitude, but it's a really big problem. And, um, and, um, and so on one hand it takes wisdom and age to solve some of these problems. And on the other hand, you know um, it takes, Youth and risk-taking and uh, and uh, optimism to to really solve it. So it's going to be going to be interesting. Yeah. Never mind the fact that you know we're working, like you said about your dad, we're working longer and we're around longer. And um, uh, it's uh, the first time I think there's been such a cross generational workforce trying to solve these problems in very different ways.
0: And that's what I want to ask you about. You were part of the select group that. Gained access to technology very quickly. Probably most of whom were in the United States. Uh, what was it like having technology play such an important role in your life, and then maybe interacting with people who of the same age who had no no connection with this rapid pace of technology? It seemed like you know when I was growing up, I my my dad was at these conferences all the time with people doing technology. It was really it was. exciting and like you know like it was really cool to be part of that group. What, what was that like? It was
1: intoxicating Mm. it was it it was so intoxicating you felt like superhuman you really did you felt like you you were knew something nobody else knew i personally was fairly populist about it i felt it was nothing unless you could explain it to other people and they could reap the benefits of it so that's how i chose to make my Mm. career first as a journalist now running conferences that that um that it shouldn't have been kept locked up in a box Mm -hmm. and actually we're seeing now it will be better when um more diverse people cultures and skills get tossed into the technology making mix you know when an engineer is designing everything about your life it's a kind of scary thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i think you're gonna see new teams with philosophers and anthropologists and archaeologists and i think that gives me a lot of hope. Um, because they'll be able to blend their skills into um, a better product.
0: Mm. And I've been, I've been so interested in this for such a long time. I spent most of my twenties living in other countries, uh, learning other languages and kind of uh, seeing what it was like outside the world. Cause as soon as I was able to, I wanted to leave, uh, leave San Francisco and Silicon Valley. I, and I never was interested in, I mean, I was interested in technology and what it did for me, mostly in computer games and stuff like that. But then, my interest in it as a thing was like, ah, this is what my parents did. I don't really, I don't really have any interest in it. Uh, and then I went around the world and I was really interested in politics and learning about other cultures and learning these languages and stuff. And then I ended up living in Brazil and I started a business there that was non-tech business. It was just kind of a, a, a tourism business. And I ran into a Brazilian guy who spoke really good English. And because he spoke English well, he was able to access all this information coming from Y Combinator, from 500 startups. Uh Startups had come to Brazil and and spread this kind of like technology production culture. Uh, And then that lit a fire in me, making me realize like how this is going to spread. So the the themes that my dad was kind of exploring that were centralized in Silicon Valley are going to spread. And people have been saying that for a long time. But now I really think Absolutely. Yeah. There's about to be a lot of stuff that's going to be created outside of Silicon Valley. Relatively Silicon Valley is going to remain dominant, but but like absolutely there's going to be lots of different stuff are you yeah. talking about at all?
1: And your dad is one of those people that um just has that skill to see what's coming next around the co- corner whether it's in technology, foods or technology and new fabrics and materials and he's always been an explainer of things. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and a risk taker, because he put his money behind you know some of his beliefs um, mm-hmm. and encouraged other businesses to to flourish so it's um so you do feel like <clears throat> that's your job in life at some point mm-hmm. is to turn what you know into actions other younger people can take mm-hmm. and to sort of help them reap the benefits, whatever the technology looks like, but of getting so jazzed up about the future and what it can bring. And that, I think, technology's done really well. Um, I think it's given people throughout the world all sorts of jobs. You you don't know where you're calling for tech support or you don't know where your animation was made or it's, um, it's a really global um environment and you know the sad part is but our p- political system is becoming less global and uh, as is china's and and that's going to give us all it's going to set us all back um and even when you look at the biggest issues of our time climate change uh, feeding everybody technology has answers you know they have really good answers for a lot of these problems but it's a global issue it's not a it's not a you know country by country issue. And we've kind of messed around for a couple of years, not doing much of anything and towards, towards researching, that's one thing you will say about China, the government puts their money behind uh, research efforts. And we've kind of been super lax on that in the last couple of years.
0: Well, and, and that's, and I think that's a product of the geopolitical landscape and actually what's happening in China might actually put another fire underneath the United States government to hopefully to start investing. You know, in for, yeah,
1: Either that or it's us and Brexit all the way, you know, like two dying powers. Yeah. I mean, so I, I hope, mm. I hope not. Um, but, you know, when you're so consumed by oh, just the frivolity is in brexit's case one set of issues and ours another mm-hmm. but it's so hard to move the dial forward on the issues that really count yeah and the affordable housing you know how many people are working on great startups to solve problems like that and mm-hmm. um you, you know, impossible burgers and mm-hmm. i mean there are just there's an idea a day that will blow your mind mm-hmm. you know and um yet Yet we have to get excited about them again.
0: And are you following? Uh, are you? Do, are your conferences uh, bringing in people from different countries? What's What's your thought on this this rise of technology software production in the rest of the world?
1: Yeah. Uh, so so CES in particular, where I do most of my work, is an international conference, and they also have CES Asia uh, in Shanghai, where I participate. As well, and it is great to see the the the, the sort of coming together of skills and talents. Um, the, you know, not without its problems. Also, people come with a whole different mindset sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, I'm thinking about India in particular, where some of the uh, some of the drives that they have to make a great product are are different. You know, to get out. You know getting out of the slums and poverty is great ruling the world you know as the upper class you know kingpin and millionaire is billionaire sorry um, is it begs the question about how do you bring other people along Mm -hmm. so like I said I've always been a populist about this stuff I always think that if you can't let the world enjoy the benefits of technology, and you kind of suck.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Well, and that's part of the one of the promises of technology is that anyone can use it. Like YouTube is not paywalled. There's no paywall on YouTube. Like I have been, it's been just like absolutely wonderful the last two or three years. I've had medical issues and I've been able to re- train my, educate myself well enough to actually understand these problems better than than most dentists would know I actually talked to a dentist uh, and and he said that I knew more about this particular problem that I was facing than 90% of the dentists Um, and it's actually a common problem that a lot of people have Uh, and it's like that that is only because of this free knowledge that's on YouTube that's on Reddit that's like Right, other, don't mean, you
1: think the dentists like have to give up some control in 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 that case? Because you know, you used to walk into the doctor and said, "Well, I was researching on the internet, and I here's the stack of papers," and the doctor would say, "I'm the doctor. Shut yeah, up." Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and and now the conversation, I mean, it's all about relinquishing control. I really, it, you know, when it gets down to it, and and realizing that. um, You can't be a specialist in everything. And that goes to our relationship with robots and AI as well. You know, you can't know everything. So what are you going to cede to um, somebody else who's an expert there? And how are you going to build a team in your business? And how are you going to build a workplace where there's room for humans and robots? And um, I think... Those are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about. Mm. Um, Smart cities and 5G can go one of two ways. We can all reap the benefits of faster, better, more efficient cities, or we can all be surveilled, or even worse, 5G becomes something that's only accessible to the wealthiest of us Mm. and not to the rest of the people Mm. and it becomes like the internet was in the early days but how do you get internet to everybody when it's the greatest treasure we've ever had how do you ensure equal access that's affordable and we haven't even figured that out yet that's
0: (laughs) that's an an ethical question that's a that's a question not about technology that's a question of how do we set up the 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 government and the right but as
1: as the AT&T's and Verizon start to deploy this stuff and if they charge up premium for 5g service we can only expect that it will be businesses i mean you've already seen i think what it was NOAA, the weather station uh, you know offering a tiered premium like you can get news on the hurricane faster if you'll pay mm-hmm. for it And uh, so really like that should be a right <laughs> you know Well,
0: and that's what um, the, the internet was started with that fundamental foundation that that it should be free right what like you, yeah yeah about- when I
1: talk about it, I, I always say it's like that Joni Mitchell line, like they take paradise and put up a parking lot yep. um because what started out you know as this very noble thing um has become a shopping center based you know mm. for, for our attention in all sorts of ways mm-hmm. and and for goods and you know, should there be a part in the early days when I first saw the internet coming, I went to Washington to try and lobby for a kid's p b s on the internet because mm-hmm. once they put, um, they put COPPA in place, which meant that you couldn't take information from kids, anybody with half a brain just bailed on kids. And so you lost really talented software engineers and programmers trying to do kids' storybooks and stuff. So I went down to Washington and said, well, I'll just lobby everybody here. How hard could it be? It was ridiculous. I, I didn't understand anything about lobbying. I just thought that somebody should be thinking about they built a radio station you know um, national public radio why couldn't they do that for the internet some place that had some degree of trust um, and mm-hmm. I, I feel maybe they'll resurrect that idea <laughs> We'll take that on
0: <laughs> well I mean I see that I see the the promise of of, of decentralized technology offering that uh, if we can distribute data in a way that doesn't rely on a central database, uh, and then then I think we can solve that problem. But that is a, that is an unanswered question. Yeah. So, so far, we've only question uh, answered the question of whether we can um, uh, decentralize the uh, double uh, double spend accounting, um, and it does seem like we've we've done that. But uh, but yeah, I think I think that's an interesting question as to whether uh, we will have new technologies that will, like you were saying, essentially help us build a new free internet.
1: Yeah, but it's funny. So I just Venmoed somebody the other day talking about decentralized. And last night I got an invite to join somebody on Venmo. I said, why would I want to join you on Venmo? I don't even know you. (laughs) Like, what what were you thinking? So, you know, I think that trust piece and there are some elegant solutions being formed out there um, and it will involve the blockchain and it will involve, and I don't think, you can move from totally centralized to totally decentralized. I think there are going to be interim steps and, you know, you have to worry when JP Morgan and the others are all coming out with their own blockchain, like quasi centralized (laughs) solutions, what, what that's going to look like. On the other hand, if you want the whole world to move with you, I think you, you kind of, walk, you don't sprint, you know. Mm-hmm. So um but it's 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 really um and we feel we're so privy to all this knowledge. you know I can say, okay, I'm going to take three percent of my money and put it in crypto because yeah. that's like not a particularly risky thing to do, and you know I can afford to do this intelligently, but that took a lot of studying yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, and and a lot of listening to crazy people, and mm. you know we almost need I wish somebody would put the crazy meter on your phone so you could point it at the person talking and say, <laughs> "That person really doesn't know what they're talking about."
0: Well again, that goes back to this this trust you know trust kind of thing we we had trusted sources of information for a long time uh but that might have been for better or for worse because those those trusted sources of information might have been uh oppressive privileged or whatever um but then uh so now we we've lost that, and then we have these characters who are basically very controversial and who are willing to basically say the craziest thing uh to get the most attention and then those people get the most Likes followers yeah. and then grow their 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 following based on just saying crazy stuff, uh, without the wisdom. Yeah,
1: and and you don't realize how down that slippery slope you get. So I started at PC Magazine. All right, I'm going to mention their name, but I wound up in my last journalism gig at Yahoo, and at Yahoo, <laughs> traffic was the name of the game. And I kept telling them, there are two ways to get traffic. You say something unbelievably outrageous or something dead wrong, (laughs) you know, that's it. And if that's how you want to pay us, that's, I can't do this anymore. Um, So we have imbalanced the scales, like trust is not something we value with our clicks or our likes or our dollars. um, It's sort of the loudest voice in the room. There are ways to change that. We we did this behaviorally and we can change the incentive structure also, but it's going to take some mindfulness to do that.
0: Well, and that's that's an interesting question, because what you bring up is that ultimately like like it's on us, the consumers who are responsible for the ultimate behavior of being manipulated um, to I mean, there's a balance, so it's it's not yep, yep. quite that you know cut and dry, but but it is you know it's like each individual when they click on that link that is outrageous, they are providing that incentive to that writer to write that article. Yep. Um, so it's it's partly a behavioral change, but then it's a partly an educational change as well to I even understand that that's happening. Um, and what makes me laugh,
1: kind of chuckle inside, is that the people who built these things they were not psychologists and behavioral scientists for the most part, you know, um, they were like programmers, but somehow instinctually, when you rely on data and everybody knows how seductive it is to, you know, uh, it, we used to call it the 10 ways to slimmer thighs headlines. You know, it's the article you'll read again and again, if you're a woman, you'll just click on it no matter what it says or, you know, ways to look younger or faster. Um, and, and, Those things haven't gone away, but when your incentive structure is um, built on traffic and clicks, it sort of skews the balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And when when a screen leads itself to short form journalism, not longer form, you've got the same problem.
0: Mm. And that's the question, could it have been different?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think if we were a little smarter, yeah we're doing okay, like I said, yeah. and the net net is it's a win, but I think it can be smarter and I think it's how do you incentivize people to look at the look at things that are true and not ludicrous to how do you incentivize people to make an honest living doing honest things on the internet? and I think um, you know I, I, I think we can do that, and mm-hmm. i, I, I like I said, it may take the form of a subsidized area that is trusted. It may take the form of a trust that we establish person by person until we build our own networks, which would be sad because we miss half the people. But, um, um, and you know, in the early, I know, Facebook never really got close to it. They were always pretty uh, hands off and it was a great science experiment. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do think the way is probably for smarter people than me. Um, um, I think, you know, Netflix, if you like this, you'll like this, was a good step. It was positive. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's, um, you know, I think there are subtle things that we know about human behavior that we can sort of transition um, and, and I'm gonna liken it, I'm gonna get political again and talk about the difference between an Obama and a Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, Obama's incentives were by and large positive. They're all good people, we hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we hope to do the best, and we hope, 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 and that was the key word, and switch to what we have now, where instead of hope, we have, we have hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can switch the internet, to be more like hopeful, um, and remember those things. I mean, journalists—we're not doing a great job. Nobody tells you the story about rekindling with their family or curing their disease, like like you just told me. Uh, you know, not enough people are telling the wonderful things that happen on the internet every day. Because I do believe, by and large, more wonderful things happen than bad things happen. Mm-hmm. But it's like we only pay attention to the bad ones.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, it makes sense evolutionarily because the bad ones are the ones that would kill us. Uh, Exactly.
1: Exactly. And you kind of, you're right. You can't change Darwinism, can you? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, you can't, you can't change it. Like, I guess the question is, can we, like you're saying, incentivize the better aspects of our being?
1: I think so. But then it's a question of, yes, you can. Who doesn't? Oh, yeah. You know, and then it goes back to trust. So there we go. We've come like <laughs> full circle. Yeah. And, um, and those are, but you're seeing you're seeing like glimmers of hope. Like even the e-commerce on the internet has become so important to be, for lack of a better word, cause related. You know, if you have a good cause, mm. I will buy your product. If mm. you believe in the things I do, I will buy your product. And that in a way is a, a change and a kind of new change. Um, from just you know hawking your goods, and I'm talking about people like Nike and you know uh, Eileen Fisher and you know big brands who've realized the importance of uh, standing for something mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. a dress or a pair of sneakers. <laughs> yeah. And so you know it's like everybody who gets famous, or every brand that gets famous, all of a sudden you have an obligation. Uh, yeah. So I don't fault Facebook for what they've become, but I fault them because it was just a big science experiment, but I fault them for what they're doing now, that now that they wow. see the ugly truth.
0: And uh, um, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the incentive structure there is like, well, you know, we've built this thing, we're making money. We don't want to hurt the golden goose. So we're going to manipulate and lobby in order so that we can protect this thing that we've built. That's giving us a lot of money instead of like, thinking into the future and seeing how can we make a positive benefit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, even Amazon, I mean, those people, they haven't gotten too good at predictive stuff yet, but they sure bother me after I buy a rug or a, <laughs> a carton of laundry detergent. I mean, they, you know, they know so much about me between and now with all the new Alexa products that will get even more so. And again, that's like my, Biggest benefit. I talk to Alexa when I'm not even anywhere near her. She's become such a part of my life. But I also am all too aware of you know what comes along with that. On the other hand, a lot of efficiencies come come out of that also. If you look at Whole Foods, you know they know how to order better now. They know how to do less waste. Um, the whole fashion industry is learning about sustainability um, and that it's important to their customers and how to not order too much of anything because they can use predictive analysis and um, you'll see new things, you know, like, like I want this, I want this dress made just for this person. So I don't have to order a size eight or a size six and the shoulders aren't going to fit right. So you're going to see the revolutions there being intrusive, yes, but also being super more efficient. And I think that's kind of um, what we have to keep our eye on the prize. Um, less waste in the system.
0: Mm. Uh, so, and we got a few minutes left. I know you got a, a hard stop, but uh, we've got a few minutes left, and there's a question that I want to ask, which is...
1: <coughs>
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> As... You know, someone who's listening to this, you've, you've seen this rise in and essentially spreading of technology. How can someone who's young learn from like younger and like using this technology, 18, 19 in university, how can someone understand how to establish a more effective relationship for the long term health of their of their of their life?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's no different than than any other temptation, booze or you know, cannabis, whatever's been put in our path is that you it's like that diet that that's right. So, oh, when my kid my kids are about your age and and I would say to them, I don't want you starting your papers in front of the computer, you know, when they were like in high school I'd say, I want you to start on a piece of paper in the living room. Number your paper from 1 to 10 so that you're directing the technology. It's not directing you. Uh, so, so you're actually directing your own work. Um, and it's subtle things like that. It's just being um, aware that um, if you've had a bad day or a few drinks, probably not the best time to go Instagramming everything about everyone. Um, and, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of more closed communities, you know, people with 10 Instagram accounts, one for their best friends, one for the next best friends. Um, So I think people recognizing there's a technology for the right time, one to be playful in, one to do your business in, one to keep your family in. I think you're going to see a lot of private cloud services for immediate groups of people, be they businesses or families. Um, And so I think you've just got to be knowledgeable enough to pick, it's like, when I started PC Magazine, I would, t- I would say to people, you've got to figure out what those other people, how they like to communicate by phone, in person, on mm. a fax, and then you go for that. And yeah. so we have to realize it's no different than ever before. There's a million ways to communicate, but you've got to pick the right one for the right time. And I also think your generation is great at living authentically. People get very bent out of shape about you know, kids, and I say, you know what, they can sniff out a fake better than we can. Um, they've been almost groomed to do it, but they just have to be reminded. Um, like, you, they're just better. You know, my, my kids still laugh at me when I send them something. My, you sent us like an advertisement for something, you know? I don't see the things that they are so attuned to. Yep.
0: And that's, you know, that's a thing that happens Any, every generation. My nephew is going to do that in a few years, probably, with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they develop their own sort of sense of, of skills. And we have to, we have to believe in that, but that uh, whole idea of role modeling, it's really important. So, you know, we are, you, we are what we do. And, you know, you always, what's that saying? You would tell your kids, do as I said, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> we had to do more of the do as I do thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's like, um, really important. And I know, you, I know your dad did it, but like, did your dad let you go traveling around the world? Didn't he say, come into the business or I'll cut you off forever? Right? <laughs> I, yeah. I think, um, and I know you come from a line of pretty smart journalists and uh, uh, pretty, pretty uh, always ahead of the curve people. So I think your dad realized every generation's got to find their own way in this mess mm. and had enough confidence in him and you to do that.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. Um, uh, so it's been a huge pleasure. And and how can people find out more more about what you're doing and what, what, what you're working on?
1: So the best thing to do is go to livingindigitaltimes.com. And um, you can see all the different conferences and events that we do. You can pick your poison. Um, they're all fun. You know, I try and curate. That's my job. Pick the best of the best to give them not just one idea, but all a good look so that when you leave one of my conferences, you have a 30,000 foot view of an area that's changing and you've got to stay on top of it.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love talking to you. You,
1: it's, it's really nice. Thank you for having me.
0: Sure.